Whether or not you win or lose, will you accept the results of the election tomorrow? I think we all ought to be looking at election integrity. What? I agree with Larry Elder. I'm with him. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the world-famous broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans, be careful down there on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, Desi Doyen, you, you heard me say it, I'm with Larry Elder. <laughs> yes, on that very one small short thing he said. Well, we'll see. This is uh, Election Day, of course, as we go to air here in California today, which normally means I don't talk much about the election while folks are voting and and we wait to cover reported results on the day after the election, if they're available on the day after the election. That is, unless there are reported problems at polling places. A lot of times we'll cover those on Election Day. The good news so far anyway uh, today is that I'm not seeing or hearing about any major problems yet today in California. We reported on yesterday's broadcast about some instances of electronic poll books Predictably failing here in Los Angeles County yet again, this time uh, reporting that voters who say they had not voted being marked in the e-poll books as if they had voted when they say they hadn't. L.A. claims that it was a configuration problem in just a few voting center locations and that those uh, computers were replaced in just a matter of hours and that voters um we're still able to use provisional ballots to vote while the matter was dealt with. It's unclear how widespread that problem actually was, as there were a lot of right-wingers claiming, naturally, that this was some scheme to rob them of Republican frontrunner and radio talk show host Larry Elder's rightful victory 
over the popular Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom in the recall somehow in a state where registered voters, registered Democratic voters, outnumber Republicans by about two to one, and where a Republican has not won a statewide election for more years than I've been able to count, and where the latest polling averages suggest Gavin Newsom will in fact defeat the recall attempt by about 16 points, if you believe in such polls. Do you believe in such polls, Desi Doyen? I wouldn't say I believe in them, but I do accept that they can be a useful snapshot of a moment in time of the electorate's feelings. In general, sort of. Well, isn't that politically correct of you? (laughs) The good news uh, for now, anyway, I am not seeing or hearing any reports of problems for voters at the polls, though sometimes uh, it's much later before such problems end up revealing themselves. We will cover them if they do. In this case, however, not unlike last year's November presidential race, All registered voters have been sent vote-by-mail ballots across the state of California, so the use of in-person polling is likely light on Election Day. And uh, also in California, we've got a lot of early voting availability. So, you know, Election Day voting could be very light on Tuesday, as uh, as we may find uh, more heavily trafficked on Tuesday by Republicans who were told last year... Not to trust absentee voting. Polls close at 8 p.m. on Tuesday night, after which we are likely to get a lot of numbers very quickly since voters in California have been returning vote-by-mail ballots for weeks now. Those get processed and tabulated in California almost immediately upon them coming into election headquarters before Election Day, uh, although those results are not supposed to be available. After Election Day... You may recall it can take as long as 30 days for a final result out here in the Golden State as late mail ballots and provisional ballots are then processed and all of them canvassed in various ways in various counties. But as of Tuesday night, if the results are as wide in favor of Newsom as uh, has been reported over the past week or so regarding those pre-election polls, the results may become clear quite uh, quite quickly. I do have some concerns, of course, that a few weeks ago when the polls were showing essentially a dead heat uh, as far as removal of Newsom goes, that is actually when ballots went out to voters. And it's possible that many were mailed in right away at that point uh, when the uh, recall effort was more of a 50-50 thing. So we don't know. In truth, I don't uh, expect the results will be quite as wide as the late polling suggests for Newsom. Uh, But we will see. Those of us in favor of counting all ballots and counting them correctly are in no particular rush here. But... The mainstream media apparently are, which is why Jake Soboroff at MSNBC trotted out this, uh, pardon me, but getting kind of tired old trope with Larry Elder on Monday. Whether or not you win or lose, will you accept the results of the election tomorrow? I think we all ought to be looking at election integrity. 
no matter whether you're a Democrat, an Independent, or a Republican. Is that a commitment to accept the let's, results let's, of the election all, tomorrow? Let's all do that together. Let's all work together uh, on both sides of the aisle to make sure that the election is a fair election. Is that a commitment to accept the results of the election tomorrow? Let's all work together to find out uh, whether or not the election uh, tomorrow is a fair election. Let's all work together to do that. So that is not a commitment to accept the results of the election tomorrow? Boy, boy Jacob, um, honestly, I answered your question. Let's all work together. We all should have a vested interest in making sure that the election is a fair one and is one that was conducted with integrity. Now, you might think I would side with my old friend Jake Soboroff there against the atrocious and horrible human being known as Larry Elder <laughs> uh, and you know, refusing to say that he'd accept the results of the election tomorrow, whatever they were. This was done with Donald Trump last year, and it was, frankly, as lame then as it is now. And uh, to be honest, Jacob Sobaroff, who spent many years as an election integrity advocate himself, he'd appear on this show to discuss it uh, before getting his reporting gig at MSNBC. Frankly, he should know better. There may be all kinds of concerns and problems and questions not to mention simply uncounted votes here in California, where it takes about a month to tally them all, that would prevent one from simply, you know, agreeing in advance to simply accept the results immediately on the day of or the day after the election. If I was running for office, if Jake Soberoff or anybody else asked me that question, no, I don't think I would say, yes, I'm ready to accept the results, whatever they are, as reported tomorrow, no matter how unconfirmed and how uncertified they actually are. If it's very close... Or if there are uh, there's evidence of tabulation errors or any other sort of problems, asking a candidate to simply accept whatever the media declare the results to be before an election is even certified is both ridiculous and, frankly, a disservice to voters who deserve to, you know, not only have all of their votes tallied, but to know that they've been counted accurately as per voter intent. So I really wish the media would knock off this, uh, you know, will you accept the results immediately tomorrow crap, even though folks like Elder and Donald Trump don't want to actually answer that question, not because they respect the voters or they're concerned about the accuracy of the results, but because if they lose, well, they are sore losers who are likely to never acknowledge that they actually lost. That's their reason for doing it. For answering the question that way. It's not to look out, you know, f for voters. It's not about election integrity for them. No, it's not. But it's a dumb question. It's a gotcha question, it's supposedly, an, that th these people are uh, in the media are now asking. Yeah, it's ex extremely sloppy and imprecise language. This this me and, and, and it, it feeds into the media obsession with speed concessions on the night of the election. It's not even that. It's just laziness. It's just laziness and it's gotcha. They want to, you know, get them saying we won't accept the results of the election. Instead, Elder could have said something along the lines of, look, uh, let's count all the ballots and then we'll find out. And he sort of did. He sort of said, you know, we should all be in favor of election integrity. He sort of mouthed the sort of right words. But, you know, the fact that these are these guys are, are sore losers if they lose. We know Donald Trump lost. That's their problem. The media should not play into this whole thing 
Uh, and frankly, in doing so, they're disrespecting voters and elections and the accurate publicly overseen tabulation of results, which takes time and, yes, can have problems. And, and, and frankly, I think that is true no matter how much bad faith that folks like Elder and Trump have when they refuse to answer that very dumb question. And folks like Elder, make no mistake, have a lot of bad faith in pretty much everything they are doing here, as revealed by Larry Elder's own website on Monday night with a link to a web page at a domain called Stop cafraud.com where a pathetic, false and dangerous page paid for by Larry Elder is posted, seeking people to sign on to a statement claiming claiming that the election was fraudulent in some manner when at this point the point when uh, this page was posted on the Monday before the Tuesday election, the only two things at that point that were fraudulent are claims that the election results were fraudulent <laughs> because they had no idea what they actually were when they posted this page on Monday, and the obvious attempt to uh, harvest names and addresses and email addresses and phone numbers of the willing dupes who sign on to this fraudulent and, yes, dangerous message misleadingly headlined, We Must Protect Election Integrity. So where it was right for Elder, frankly, to answer Sobroff the way he did in that uh, attempted gotcha interview, it is completely wrong and completely dangerous and, uh, frankly, completely stupid and embarrassing uh, to do what Larry Elder did on this StopCAFraud.com website, which reads, They say in America that there are four boxes of liberty. This is at StopCAFraud.com, again, sponsored by Elder for Governor 2021. The uh, four boxes, the soap box, the ballot box, the jury box, and the ammo box. When we vote, we exercise our rights as Californians and as Americans to make our voices heard via the ballot box, Have listen, having listened to others make theirs heard through the soap box. We trust in our elected officials to safeguard that ballot box such that it results such that its results will truly reflect our will as Californians. However, when those officials, either through laziness or incompetence, allow thieves to steal amidst the dead of night and cheat our ballot box, we can no longer rely on its contents. Will we now have to fight the California jury box in the hope that the final box, the one most akin to Pandora's, as you'll recall, that's the ammo box, remains closed? The statement goes on to ask people to, quote, join us in this fight by signing a petition to, quote, demand a special session of the California legislature to investigate and ameliorate the twisted results of this 2021 recall election of Governor Gavin Newsom. Twisted results? What results, Larry? Twisted or otherwise? This page, again, was posted the day before Election Day. It goes on to claim with zero evidence to support any of these inferences that one, voters who cast improperly formed ballots have an advantage over voters who cast their ballots in person. What? Unclear what he's even talking about there, but 
They claim that it violates several clauses of the Constitution, whatever it may be. Two, instances of undocumented ballots have been discovered prior to the election date of September 14. Really? They have? I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> I don't know what undocumented ballots actually are. Do you? I, I have no idea what he's I talking about. I have no about there. idea. <clears throat> It's odd, you know, that they, uh, if these in fact were discovered, that they didn't go to court immediately to take action on that right away as soon as it was discovered. But sure, yeah, whatever, undocumented ballots have been discovered, whatever that means. Three, if the recall election advances to an audit, we must not permit county officials who may or may not have contributed to these discrepancies. What discrepancies? to conduct the recount themselves instead of allowing independent groups under state control to conduct the recount. Well, first, an audit is not a recount. An audit is uh, generally, in speaking about elections, it's a small hand count of a random sampling of ballots, whereas a recount is a full retally of all the ballots, hopefully by hand, and while the public must be allowed to oversee any post-election audit or recount, unlike the secret clown show by the cyber ninjas in Arizona, where the public was prevented by the private Republican conspiracy theorist company from overseeing pretty much anything, uh, ballots must always stay in the control of election officials at all times even if it's being counted by private citizens. Uh, but by law, they cannot give up control of those ballots, unlike, again, the clown show audit theater that happened in Arizona. And then there is this final bizarre evidence-free point from Larry Elder at StopCAFraud.com. Four, statistical analyses used to, con to detect fraud in elections held in third world nations such as Russia, Venezuela, and Iran have detected fraud in California, resulting in Governor Gavin Newsom being reinstated as governor. What? He has? They have? He's been reinstated? What? Where are they? Where are they? Where, where are these statistical analyses? What are they? The page goes on to say that the primary analytical tool used was ben, used was Benford's law and can be readily reproduced. But you would think that they would produce that evidence before asking people to sign on to a campaign threatening the use of violence and the ammo box making extraordinary claims that the election that has not even happened yet had actually been stolen from them and they could prove it through statistical analyses that they don't bother to share with us in any way, shape, or form other than to say they exist, but how can they exist if we don't know what the results are? But all because, remember, they hope, they hope that the final box, the ammo box, remains closed. This is where we now are when it comes to democracy in America. This is what suffices for, quote, election integrity among Republicans like Larry Elder. Threats to open fire when and if election results do not come out to their liking. And claims that election results 
aren't to their liking even before anybody actually knows what those election results actually are. It's also why, by the way, I've fought for years to make sure that everything that happens in elections is as public as possible and as open to citizen oversight as possible. Yes, including the counting of votes after elections and during post-election recounts and audits for years to ensure that results are accurate and to make it as difficult as possible for bad faith claims like those made by uh, the Larry Elders of the world and the Donald Trumps of the world, <clears throat> at least so far as of Election Day in California, make it as difficult as, as possible for those bad faith people to claim that the election was stolen from them. So, you know, I'd, I'd really hoped those of us long toiling for real election integrity uh, might have actually found some allies after so many years of Republicans fighting against all security measures uh, for computerized elections and after calling uh, people like us conspiracy theorists for simply fighting to ensure the public the public of all parties can oversee results of elections without simply being forced to trust in what election officials say and what the easily manipulated and often just simply misprogrammed computer tabulators tell us. I had really hoped that after the dust settled on 2020, we might find some Republicans who get it, who understand the real need for election integrity in this country. Uh, so far, I'm losing confidence that we are going to find any new allies among these clowns and clods on the right after, after you know, they are being so willfully and wildly misinformed that they are being lied to about how elections work and what actually constitutes fraud. That, thanks to fraudsters like Larry Elder, like Donald Trump. And now what I would describe, frankly, as a majority of those who still call themselves Republicans, sadly. This is the nightmare that I have long fought to avoid. Yet this is the nightmare that we all get to live through every day now. Sorry about that. I'm just the messenger. At least until the fever breaks, if it ever does. And just FYI, a little reminder, if there is evidence to suggest that the results uh, of the California recall are inaccurate or are fraudulent, even if it has, uh, you know, adversely affected Larry Elder and his voters, I will be the first one in the front of the line fighting for them. No matter how appalling I find uh, cretins and conmen like Elder to be, his supporters still deserve to know if they actually won or lost an election, even if I may not agree with them, even if I think uh, they have made a mistake in who they decided to vote for. I don't care. They do not deserve to be lied to, as Elder is clearly happy to do to his very own supporters who, yes, actually do deserve better. By the way, in case you see my uh, position here as somehow uh, partisan, it is not. It is based on uh, the lies when I talk about elder lying. It's based on the lies contained in these false claims of fraudulent elections, fraudulent election results uh, 
before there actually even are any results. An elder's proven track record of being a liar and a con man, willing to hoax anyone in order to pull off a scam, is clear, as the New York Times reported in a story on Monday. Quote, Elder initially staked out a position counter to those in his party who are focused on claims of fraud, telling the editorial board at the Sacramento Bee over a month ago that he believed President Biden had won fairly last year. But after his campaign began to garner attention, he quickly reversed his position, telling right-wing radio interviewers last month, quote, No, I don't. I don't think Joe Biden won fairly. So, yeah, Elder is a, a, a pathetic hoaxer and a liar. But, yeah, we will fight for his voters' rights anyway. You're welcome, Larry. And, hey, uh, <clears throat> speaking of voter rights... Close, regular listeners of the broadcast may recall that before uh, the Senate left for its August recess last month, I had mentioned a few times that I was a bit more bullish than most on the idea that the Democratic Senate may actually pass good election reforms somehow, even if it requires reform of the filibuster to do it, and it will, and even if that requires folks like Joe Manchin to agree to do so, which it would. Well, the Senate is now back in session as of Monday. And uh, some good news, I think. Here's where <clears throat> here's where they are today. A group of eight Senate Democrats introduced new voting rights legislation on Tuesday after reaching a compromise with so-called moderate Democratic Senator Joe Manchin on the bill, which focuses on expanding voter access, boosting election integrity, encouraging civil participation, and I can't recall if I ran out of time uh, to mention this point last month when we last talked about this. But even even a wildly scaled down version of the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, both of which have passed the House, each of those have so much good and necessary stuff in them that it, even if it only uh, a compromise bill included half of the things in For the People each one of those things, by and large, are so good and so necessary and so overdue that such a bill, while you know likely to be described as a watered-down version, uh, each of those things would likely still be really, really good and important and necessary election reform. In some cases, if just one of those things, getting dark money out of politics, if they could pass that, that alone would be a great election bill, a great uh, election reform. So to that end, though I have uh, yet to see all of the details of this new compromise bill, it sure sounds like it's got a lot of those good and necessary things in it. The uh, bill is called the Freedom to Vote Act, contains a long list, still a long list of provisions uh, as summarized uh, via Amy Klobuchar's uh, Senate website. Klobuchar is the chairwoman of the Committee on Rules and Administration. She, ha she uh, has the oversight in that committee over federal elections and campaign finance laws. Uh, and while I suspect we'll, we'll discuss more in the days ahead on this, um, the Senate is currently pushing for this to move next week uh, in the Senate. And by move, I mean get a vote. Uh, here's some of the stuff included in this compromise bill that, remember, Joe Manchin has apparently signed off on. 
automatic voter registration and online voter registration for every state. That alone, were this a standalone bill, would be huge. Huge good news. Ensure voters have access to at least 15 consecutive days of early voting for federal elections, including two weekends in every state. Same-day voter registration at a limited number of locations for the 2022 elections and at all polling locations by 2024. Again, hugely good news if adopted, if it was only that. Federal minimum standards on vote-by-mail and drop boxes to ensure that all voters can request a mail-in ballot. Great news, especially if you live in a state like Texas, where it's damn near impossible to get a vote-by-mail ballot. Uh, this bill uh, requires provisional ballots to count for all eligible races within a county, regardless of where the uh, of the precinct that they were cast in. A lot of states simply throw away those ballots if you uh, cast a provisional ballot in a in, in in a precinct that is not your own. Standards for voter ID. Now, of course, this is going to be the uh, most controversial here for some reason. This is voter ID for in-person voting, allowing voters to present a broad set of ID cards and documents in hard copy and in digital form. Now, of course, you know, while some see that as controversial, I don't. And I should note here, I have probably spilled more pixels over the years on this specific topic than perhaps any journalist in the nation. Uh, why? Why is this not? Why am I OK with this? Well, because a the majority of states have long required voter ID at the polls. That is not a huge problem in and of itself. The problem is the strict photo ID restrictions requiring very specific types of ID only that, uh, you know, Republicans who pass these laws know that many voters of a certain type do not have. Right. So this is a distinction, a distinction between a broad range of voter ID identification documents versus a photo ID, a photo ID with very specific, very strict, very limited circumstances, as you say, that Republicans have chosen because they're the kind that are generally not available to a lot of a certain type of voter that doesn't tend to vote Republican. Yes, because they know they're, they're doing it to suppress the vote. They're not the doing it yes. for security. It's not voter ID. It's no. photo ID that's the problem. This uh, legislation would also uh, allow many more types of IDs in the states that have that strict disenfranchising photo ID laws. So, you know, bank statements, paycheck stubs, things like that. It would actually make voting easier for voters in those states with those tight photo ID restrictions. And then see, according to Klobuchar's summary, uh, states that do not have a voter ID requirement would not be required to make any changes if they didn't want to. So to me, all of this is a win-win, especially if it means Joe Manchin will be willing to go to bat for this thing. Uh, the bill also restores the right to vote in federal elections for people who have served their time for felony convictions after they are released from prison. That is huge. <laughs> huge. It establishes federal protections to insulate nonpartisan state and local officials who administer federal elections from undue partisan inference interference or control. In other words, it prevents state legislatures from taking over the job of election officials in order to overturn election results. They call this uh, preventing election subversion. 
It requires states to use uh, voting systems that use paper ballots that can that can be verified by voters and to implement reliable post-election audits. The devil is in the details there, uh, but I read that as allowing for unverifiable computer touchscreen voting systems, but I'll fight that fight on another day for now. The bill puts in place election vendor cybersecurity standards, including standards for manufacturing and assembling voting machines. That's good. Nonpartisan redistricting reform and banning partisan gerrymandering, which is enormously important. And again, if it was the only thing in the bill, it would be huge. Huge. The compromise bill also includes disclosure of secret dark money in elections. Again, huge and much more. So, yes. Wow. Sounds great to me. I'm in. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said on Monday on the Senate floor he intends to hold a vote to proceed to the compromise measure as early as next week, which, yes, would require 60 senators to overcome a filibuster as NBC uh, somewhat naively reports here, it is unclear whether Democrats can garner the support of 10 Republicans. No NBC. They can't. No way. Though Schumer has said that Manchin has been discussing the bill with GOP senators. Good. Cool. Go, Joe. And if you can't get them, which, by the way, you can't, hopefully you'll be willing to reform the filibuster to move this important democracy-saving legislation that you yourself led negotiations on, right? Senator Jeff Merkley, a Democrat of Oregon, said Monday evening that the bill will have the support of every Democrat and Joe Manchin will be working to solicit support of Republicans. Again, good luck with that. Manchin, for his part, said on Tuesday that the legislation is a, quote, step in the right direction toward protecting every American's right to vote. He said, quote, as elected officials, we uh, also have an obligation to restore people's faith in our democracy. And I believe that the common sense provisions in this bill, like flexible voter ID requirements that he's kind of obsessed with, uh, will do just that, he said. OK, so Joe Manchin. You're going to take action when your GOP colleagues refuse to join you the way they refused to join you and, in fact, embarrassed you by not signing up, not voting in favor for that bipartisan independent January 6th commission, which you swore they would, but they didn't. So you're going to take action this time when you're turned down? Well, we will see. Uh, but, you know, uh, no, as many had argued last month, election reform in the U.S. Senate is not dead. Not yet. Anyway, we will see. Uh, for the record, in addition to Manchin and uh, Merkley and Klobuchar, uh, who worked on this bill, Tim Kaine of Virginia, independent uh, Senator Angus King of Maine, Alex Padilla of California, John Tester of Montana and Raphael Warnock of Georgia. They all work together on this compromise bill, so it's sort of all wings of the Democratic caucus in the U.S. Senate on this. That's another very good sign. Fingers are crossed, but election reform is not dead yet. All right, with that good news, let's take a break, and we'll come back with some bad news, <laughs> as we do, because, yes, that's how it works these days. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. <laughs> Hey! 
Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That bumper music, uh, given what I'm about to talk about, might seem unspeakably cruel, but as you'll see in a moment, uh, it actually isn't. At least in my opinion, at least when it comes to this, uh, to this first story. The right-wing firebrand and indelible talk show host, as the Denver Post describes him, Bob Enyart, pastor of the Denver Bible Church, has died from COVID-19, his radio, according to his radio co-host on Monday, who announced it on Facebook. Fred Williams, Enyart's co-host on the unbelievably ironically named Real Science Show, said in the post, quote, Bob Enyart was one of the smartest and without question the wisest person I've known, begging the question of how many people Fred Williams actually knows, and also serving to outrage on behalf of both uh, science and the radio industry that these jackasses actually have the temerity to call their wingnut propaganda show carried over public over our public airwaves the real science radio show Enyart and his wife but that's not why I played another one bites the dust I'll get to that in a second Enyart and his wife refused to get the vaccine due to abortion concerns according to his website, claiming that Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson vaccines were tested on the cells of aborted babies. Which, by the way, I don't know if that's true or not, but for that reason, apparently, and I'm sure many others uh, that he made uh, along the way, he and his wife refused to try and save their own life by taking the vaccine. In October, Enyart successfully sued the state of Colorado over mask mandates and capacity limits in churches, which was a rare legal victory at the time against broad public health mandates instituted during the pandemic. And now I am normally, frankly, sympathetic to folks like this, even, you know, right wing radio hosts. I do not believe in uh, speaking ill of the dead. At least most of them. I believe that that uh, Enyart is now the fifth. Uh, yes. Does, does that sound right? The, that sounds the, about right. The fifth anti-vax anti-vaxxer right-wing talk show host that we have reported on as having died from COVID over just the past month and a half or so. Five of them. Could be six. I don't know. And even though uh, most of them almost certainly knew better before broadcasting their anti-vaccination nonsense, you know, most of them certainly knew better or they were just so brainwashed that it's frankly difficult to not to feel bad for them. But this one I'm having a, 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 a more difficult time than usual finding much sympathy for. As the Denver Post reports, pushing the limits never bothered Enyart. 
On his old TV show, Bob Enyart Live, the host would, quote, gleefully read obituaries of AIDS sufferers while cranking Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. So, uh, hey, there you go, Bob. What goes around comes around. There's your musical tribute. I assume you wouldn't have thought that was cruel, right, Bob? His show's uh, website says Enyart has aired more than 6,000 radio and TV shows across 80 cities from Honolulu, Honolulu to Orlando, Florida. So you can imagine how much uh, helpful information that he has shared with Americans over the years over our public airwaves. Uh, sorry, having trouble uh, ginning up sympathy for this guy once I read about uh, gleefully reading the obituaries of AIDS sufferers playing Another One Bites the Dust. By the way, in another irony, Enyart also served as the spokesman for American Right to Life, which bills itself as the, quote, abolition wing of the pro-life movement, which, if Enyart is any example, may ironically uh, now be in the business of abolishing the pro-life movement itself, it seems. Heaven's gain has left an enormous hole here on Earth, his co-host Fred Williams wrote. Bob's enduring legacy will live on with the treasure trove he leaves behind. I can only uh, hope that treasure trove now includes followers who now question WTF they were listening to this jerk for, for when it comes to life advice, much less science advice. And in a somewhat related story in which I've got a bit more sympathy, I really do, for the subject here, because in truth, uh, it seems to me that she is more a victim, frankly, of cretins like the late Bob Enyart and his cruel and deadly use of our public airwaves you know, then then she is one to be derided for her ignorance here. As Marissa Higgins, Daily Coast reports, if you follow the anti-vaxxer movement, you may have heard of 64-year-old Veronica Wolski, an adamant QAnon follower, a believer who went viral in the past for both bragging that she refused to, refused to wear a face mask while in stores and for preaching QAnon conspiracy theories from a highway overpass in Chicago. Here's a clip from uh, one of Veronica Wolski's videos last month when she was hanging protest signs atop the overpass for thousands of passing cars to see on the Kennedy Expressway below. This was the uh, the day that her message that she had posted up on the fence there for those below to see read in all caps, never comply COVID. Hello, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the People's Bridge. Glorious day out. Glorious day out, lots of traffic, lovely weather. I'm thinking about our military today, and I'm thinking about the Pentagon, and I'm thinking about teachers and nurses and medical people, pardon me, today. That's what my thoughts are today. And so I have a message. Never comply, COVID. And that's what Chicago's seeing today, is never comply. Because if you don't comply, and you don't give up your freedoms, then you never have to fight to get them back. Because once you give up your freedoms, 
you don't get them back. I heard a gentleman in the UK say, freedom, if freedom comes with a caveat, which is a condition, if freedom comes with a caveat, it is not freedom. I have never once worn a mask. I have called the police, and people have tried to make me wear masks. I have never relinquished my freedoms, and therefore, I don't have to fight to get them back. Why I'm here today is to help those that have. And we're going to try to help them get their freedoms back. So, this is a message for Chicago to try to help them wake up and uh, maybe give them hope and offer them a little bit of strength to say no and a bit of steel in a person's spine to say no and to honor our military and our nurses and our doctors and our teachers that are saying no and they are leaving their professions to stand on this, the path of the righteous. So, POTUS, General Mike, Patriots are on the job. Patriots are on the job. And I hope you all have a lovely day for yourself. I know I am. I really like this message. If we do not comply, then we don't have to fight to get our freedoms back. See ya. Yeah, that was uh, Veronica Walski uh, mid-August. Her reference to POTUS there would be Donald Trump, not Joe Biden. And General Mike is the disgraced former National Security Advisor and felon uh, Michael Flynn, who uh, Trump pardoned after he admitted to lying to federal agents and failing to register as a foreign agent for Turkey, even as he served as our National Security Advisor. You know, great patriots like that. And, of course, Flynn is now a QAnon champion, uh, messing with the heads of folks like Veronica Wolski. She got much more attention recently than she did from her viral videos when she was admitted to Amita Resurrection Hospital in Chicago due to, yes, you guessed it, COVID-19. After bragging, as you heard there, that she's never worn a mask in her life, called the police on those who tried to make her, and uh, then... Um, well, after being admitted to the hospital, requesting to be treated with ivermectin, the veterinary medicine used on horses and cattle, fellow QAnoners apparently harassed the hospital with requests for the facilities who treat the 64-year-old with the horse deworming medicine. According to the hospital, they received hundreds of emails and phone calls after Flynn and the somewhat mentally disturbed Georgia attorney Lynn Wood. Yes, another right wing Trump lackey uh, encouraged people to contact the hospital. Wood, in fact, videotaped himself calling and threatening the hospital with charges of murder if they refused to let her take ivermectin. Uh, and he shared that video on his Telegram channel, which has more than 800,000 followers. At one point, uh, Wood shared the hospital's phone number to his enormous number of subscribers and advised people to tell the staff, quote, what you think of communists, communists who violate Nuremberg, Nuremberg, and tell them what's coming for them. As uh, Vice noted, according to the uh, Daily Beast, the hospital received not only uh, phone calls, but even death threats, 
QAnoners uh, caused chaos even in person, reportedly. Police actually had to be called to the hospital on Sunday night uh, due to disturbance reports. For example, a woman who identified herself as a power of attorney for Wolski demanded to be let into the hospital to give Wolski a, quote, wellness check, whatever that means, according to Vice. During a Facebook live stream, Dr. Allison Arwadi, a public health commissioner for Chicago, admitted uh, she was, quote, a little surprised that people were willing to take a veterinary medicine that is not FDA approved, but then, quote, don't want to take the vaccine that has had really widespread human trials and is approved. After several weeks in the hospital, Wolski died in the intensive care unit early on Monday. According to the Chicago Trib, the county medical examiner said Wolski's cause of death was pneumonia due to COVID-19 with hyperthyroidism as a contributing factor. Uh, meanwhile, Lynn Wood is using Wolski's death as further incentive to get QAnoners to harass medical workers, writing in part on Telegram, it is our responsibility to ensure that these medical murders stop now and the perpetrators be brought to justice, adding, quote, now we go to war. So, uh, yeah. Again, uh, I guess where we started with Larry Elder and the ammo box, we return to now with Lynn Wood and his call to war. COVID-19 deaths and cases in the U.S. have now climbed back to levels not seen since last winter, according to AP this afternoon, erasing months of progress and potentially bolstering Joe Biden's argument for his sweeping new vaccination requirements, which aren't really requirements because you can test out of them if you want, at least in the private sector. The cases, uh, they note, are driven by the Delta variant combined with resistance among some Americans to get the vaccine. They're concentrated mostly in the South, but one wonders how many got their information from an overpass in Chicago. Infection rates are now soaring in Kentucky and Georgia in Tennessee and Idaho, Idaho, fueled by children now back in school, loose mask restrictions and low vaccination levels. The dire situation in hospitals is starting to sound like January's infection peak surgeries being canceled in hospitals in Washington State, Utah, elsewhere, severe shortages in Kentucky and Alabama, a lack of beds in Tennessee Intensive care units at or over capacity in Texas. The story continues, and we'll continue reporting it right here on the broadcast. The story also continues in our climate. And for that, we'll take a quick break and come back with Desi Doyen and the latest Green News report. Yeah. Where things aren't actually any better at all. <laughs> That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. one of those days when I wish we could stop the world, really. <laughs> I know. Uh, anyway, let's get to it. Our latest 
Green News Report. Forecasters say the storm could dump up to 20 inches of rain over some parts of the Gulf Coast this week. Second monster storm in two weeks drowns the U.S. Gulf Coast. When we build back, we have to build back better. It's not a Democrat thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's a weather thing. Biden urges Congress to invest in hardening the nation's infrastructure. Plus, another nail in the coffin for the massive zombie pebble mine in Alaska. All of those coffins and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know, we can't continue to try to ignore reality. Oh, Mr. President, as Barack Obama used to say, yes, we can. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Tessie Doyne, yet another monster storm and yet another record hurricane season is yet again knocking out power across Texas and Louisiana. Yes, as we go to air, Tropical Storm Nicholas is bringing days of heavy rain and dangerous flash floods to areas of Texas and storm-battered Louisiana. States of emergency are in effect. Widespread power outages are reported in Texas, again, after the ice storm earlier this year. Flights canceled and schools are closed. The National Hurricane Center warns that Nicholas is a slow-moving rainmaker that could dump as much as 20 inches of rain on some parts of the Gulf Coast. 20 inches of rain. Yes, and that compounds storm surge with inland flooding. Inland flooding is the leading cause of storm-related deaths. Beleaguered Louisiana is still struggling to recover from a direct hit by Category 4 Hurricane Ida just two weeks ago. Studies show that human-caused climate change is making storms more severe, producing more rainfall, moving slower once they make landfall, and generating larger storm surges along the coast. None of which is good news. It's a busy week on Capitol Hill as Democrats hash out key pillars of President Biden's climate agenda in his Build Back Better proposal to create jobs, upgrading the nation's infrastructure, and shifting to clean energy. That would be good. It's part of the Democrats' $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation legislation that can pass with a simple majority over an expected Republican filibuster. The bill also includes funding for lead pipe removal, fees for methane leaks, transmission upgrades, and EV charging infrastructure. And under negotiation right now is a potentially game-changing policy called the Clean Electricity Performance Program, or CEPP, to incentivize utilities to accelerate the shift to clean energy. A new report from independent firm Analysis Group finds that if Congress passes the Clean Electricity Performance Program, it would create nearly 8 million new jobs and add nearly $1 trillion to the economy by 2031. That's a good thing if we could just get that message across to Joe Manchin who really doesn't seem to like any of this stuff. President Biden visited the wildfire ravaged states of California and Idaho on Monday to bolster firefighting efforts and promote his Build Back Better proposal at the National Interagency Fire Center in Boise, Idaho and then again in California. Biden emphasized that man-made climate change is here and the nation needs to prepare now for worse effects to come noting that last year alone Extreme weather cost the U.S. $99 billion. The reality is we have a global warming problem. It's not like you can build back to what it was before. It's not going to get any better than it is today. It only can get worse. 
For every dollar we invest in resilience that is building back better, we save six dollars down the road in the future. When we build back, we have to build back better. It's not a Democrat thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's a weather thing. Actually, it's a climate thing, Mr. President, but we'll let you go on that one. Some good news. The Biden Environmental Protection Agency says it will establish the first ever rules limiting the industrial dumping of toxic chemicals known as PFAS into public water systems or directly into rivers, lakes, and surface waters. Tyrant. PFAS are linked to a host of health impacts like cancers and birth defects. EPA will also establish new rules limiting wastewater discharges from slaughterhouses into rivers like the Smithfield Hog Processing Plant plant in North Carolina, which alone dumps more than a million pounds of pollutants a year directly into the Cape Fear River. Well, so much for freedom. Finally, the Biden EPA has also put another nail in the coffin of the extremely controversial Pebble Mine, a truly massive open-pit gold and copper mine proposed in Alaska, which the EPA's studies have shown would irreversibly harm the world's largest sockeye salmon fishery in Alaska's pristine Bristol Bay watershed. The Biden EPA has asked a federal court to allow it to reopen its proposed veto of the mine under the Clean Water Act. Well, let's hope this one sticks for a while. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. For all of the beauty my children will see, here's to Alaska and me. There's few things that John Denver can't make feel a little bit better. Yeah, I'm going to just get the hell out of this show uh, with Alaska (laughs) on my mind and keep those thoughts. Uh, By the way, some uh, almost half a million without power in Texas uh, and Hurricane Nicholas, Nicholas now Tropical Storm Nicholas, is dumping huge months of water in the same areas near Houston that uh, Hurricane Harvey did back in 2017. All right, got to go. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We stay on your public airwaves only do. And thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Here's to Alaska, here's to the people, here's to the wild, and here's to the free. Here's to my life in a chosen country, here's to Alaska and me.